Hello and welcome to Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to each other so they can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? I, as always, am Sam Blakely for the 83rd time on this show anyway, and I'm joined for the 83rd time by Hugh Dempsey. Hugh, how are you? Sam, hello. I'm alright, thank you. How are you? Not so bad. Yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. I'm back in actual physical work in person next week, Hugh. Oh, yeah. You actually have to be a presence. Yeah. No more pyjama teaching. <laughs> like a real... Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. That must be exciting stuff. Yeah. I imagine. Mostly mostly yeah. to a room full of people wearing masks who I can't hear. Um, but, <laughs> but at least I can see if they're actually doing the work or, or playing video games. So it's uh, everything's a bonus. Yeah. Have you had a good week? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been all right. It, quiet, to be honest. But... Um, yeah, no, nothing strange or exciting, unfortunately, to report. Nothing, nothing interesting. Nothing. Just <laughs> for the f- waiting for the end of lockdown, yeah. like everybody else. Really. Obviously, want these shows to be okay. timeless, and uh, you can listen to them anytime. But they are a bit of a time capsule as well, and yeah. you know, so we are just days away from being able to go and sit in one person's garden, uh, and then it's it's easing. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, how are you feeling about end of lockdown here? Oh yes, very excited. Mm. Understandably. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you'll probably be able to tell the difference when the podcast comes comes out when it's after lockdown and we're not sounding insane. <laughs> and when you say, "What have you done this week?" Oh, I've done stuff. Yeah, I'm like Jack Torrance <laughs> on day thirty five. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm absolutely fine. But maybe we'll do some yeah. more some more live um, not live shows, but you know, where we're in the same room now that you know we. I couldn't drive Gosh. last time. We were not in a lockdown. Exciting stuff. So eh? yeah, it's the sort of thing I could definitely drive over to you and drive back in the same day. Do the odd show yeah, together. Yeah, that'd be. Oh my god, let's not get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> we won't shoot our entire wad um, just at this yeah, point. Yeah, we, we we could have a brief encounter. <laughs> Fantastic segue. Um, so that's what the listeners here for. You've you. clicked on the episode either because you're a loyal fan, thanks, Joe, uh, or you are interested in the. <laughs> Going to make that joke every week, yeah. Like every week. Um, Dakota said he's not listening this week, so listener numbers are <laughs> in <Prick>. the toilet. <laughs> so let's get into today's 1945 film. We'll give a little synopsis, and then we'll uh, we'll find out what I like. We'll do a little we'll do a little break as always. Uh, one of us had never seen this film yeah. before this week. Hugh had never That's seen me. it. I'd only seen it once before, to be fair, so I didn't know much about it. Um, Just before you do yes. the synopsis, um, for those who maybe didn't listen out last time, um, would you like to know what I thought or knew about Brief Encounter before watching it? I think it? you knew the basic. What was my... You knew the basic things, didn't you? Yeah. What did you What did you know about it? Yeah, I vaguely knew that it was like two people. I think in like during the war or something that were like had got together but couldn't stay together or something. I wasn't, but I wasn't like. Ah, what's the word like I wasn't I, I didn't really understand the, I didn't know the details mm. to be did you know about the train setting what I knew that it there was a train involved but I mm. didn't know how train station heavy the film was <laughs> which <laughs> is very honest uh, yeah that's interesting so we'll, we'll yeah. get into it presumably you know more about it now you've seen well it. I, essentially I just knew there was a lot of British people going oh my gosh I'm, I love you my darling <laughs> you know I cannot, go but off. it cannot be yeah Yes, there's going to be a lot of me doing that impression this episode. I'll try I'm and minimise it. it, but I can't make promises. I look forward to it. All right. Can't make promises. So, listener, if you've seen the film, great. If you haven't, 
go watch it. It's I found out today it's on YouTube in HD for free, so so do go and enjoy it first. It's not a long film; it's less than ninety minutes. So yeah, I mean, Hugh's basically given us a sort of synopsis there. It's a married woman with children who meets up with a married man with children, and they just spark. They have a bit of a meet cute at a train station. They just spark this. Uh, not necessarily, well, I suppose an unlikely romance. And it's the film is basically told as a confession letter in her head, in Laura's head, to her husband, who's just sort of mild manners, mild mannered, doting husband, really. And so, yeah, it's a film about it's a film about not adultery, but wandering wanderlusts <laughs> lust that wander <laughs> elsewhere and it's her guilt about it really and it's um yeah we'll get into lots of spoilers later but essentially it is it's set in 1938 actually but it came out in 45 um is it set in 38 yeah there's only a couple of little hints for it you really have to look at the, how do you know that just the IM, imdb <laughs> just the, this there's little things there's little things oh right i thought it was set in 1945 yeah me too i, I always assumed that i didn't they don't really talk about the war in the film. Um, either no, I know something that. that's going on or about to finish. So yeah, nineteen thirty-eight is when it's set, which um, it's based on the play by Noel Coward, which was written before uh, the war. So that kind of makes sense. Um, so anyway, that's the the synopsis. It is a classic film. It's you know one that you'll have all heard of if you've not seen it, and you probably know a lot of the iconography of it as well. For me, my personal t- uh, sort of history of this is that I watched it with my grandma when I was about. I'd say 15, something like that. Um, 14, 15, so, you know, half my life ago. Uh, I was just visiting her, and I think we just had nothing to do in the in the day. She got the, the DVD with a newspaper, and that took a small amount of convincing, but I was like, well, I didn't really have anything to do. Um, and I remember just loving it. You know, you watch a film, an old black and white film from the 40s with your grandma, you expect it's not going to be that, you're not going to love it, you're going to forget it. Uh, what's that? What was that TV station? Was it TGM? What's that channel? TCM um, Turner Cla- Turner Movie or TMC was it Turner Movie Classics that's the one yeah that's the one and it just felt like that sort of film that would be on there TMC but, yeah. um, but I remember just really loving it and then uh, one of my favourite films is The History Boys and they recreate a scene from it and I remember being instantly brought back to the film do they? yeah you, you know they're sort of they're very fun loving kids aren't they and they love to play on the piano and they often they often have this. Ch- they have this on-running challenge with one of their teachers, where they they'll play uh, the last bit of a film, a famous film, and and it seems like whoever gets it right gets fifty p. So he says it, and then they do it for for Irwin, the uh, Stephen Cam- Stephen Campbell Moore teacher. Anyway, but that was just like just in a very short forty-second recreation of the film. It was so it was so iconic and so evocative that ten years later, when I watched History Boys, um, and I knew it immediately. So, um, mm. obviously, I've got that link to it, and that's really nice. Um, but also, just I just think it's a really extraordinary film. I've never seen a film with this mechanism yeah. before, where the film is, although it's playing out events that actually happened, it's a, it's a, it's almost an epistem, epistolary film where it's a letter that she's writing to her husband in her head. You know, she's composing this confession um, to her husband, mm. and it's. It must have been so subversive at the time. It would be quite subversive now, and probably if you made it now, they would consummate their their relationship much earlier and more vigorously. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a film of guilt and you know, middle class English reserve and upper stuff, upper lipidness and uh, and reputation and respectability and all this, and everything's vulgar. Um, and what I also really liked was that she. She's a sympathetic character, but you do understand that she's doing wrong because what they didn't fall into was the trap of making her husband to be some 
arsehole, some abusive person. He's just he's just yeah. not somebody who excites her really, you know. Or they don't seem to click very much. And I've never. I don't think other than maybe... I've, I've never related to a character more than her husband, just in terms of who I am as a person. <laughs> maybe maybe um, uh, in Fargo, the husband in Fargo, <laughs> Francis McDormand's husband. <laughs> just as like a... You know, he's just sort of like... He's a doting husband and father. He's a bit oblivious. He likes crosswords. And I could see myself as being somebody like that, you know, as kind of a doting but unexciting sort of person to live with. And um, hopefully my partner doesn't relate to the woman in this film, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I, I really love her husband, and she's got this lovely family, and so she is guilty about that. And she's so every sentence she says is is sort of rife with this guilt. But on the other hand, you do you do see that actually, in a modern setting, she probably would leave her husband for this for this Doctor Harvey. Um, they do seem right for each other, but but equally they would be in the wrong as a kind of home wrecking couple and all that. But they've both got they've both got children both got children well. yeah he's got two boys I think yeah she's got a boy and a girl yeah, yeah who you see in the film don't you yeah there's a and ha- one of the so obviously we set this film podcast up to, to watch films to, that we hadn't seen before to fill in these gaps in our viewing history and one of my gaps is Casablanca because I've seen so many parodies of it and I've seen so many bits and, you know, Red Dwarf did an episode that was almost exactly Casablanca just with a sci-fi element to it. And so I kind of feel yeah. like I know all the beats, but I know that a big part of that is it's kind of this relationship that can't go on because it's for the greater good if she leaves uh, and stays with her man. And um, and it sort of follows that. And yeah, I do think her guilt is what makes her a sympathetic character. We don't want her to beat herself up so much, but she has to beat herself up because these are her inner thoughts, you know? Yeah. And I do, and I think Celia Johnson plays it so well because she looks so. I mean, it's depression. It's a really good portrayal of of somebody who's in a really difficult situation, basically tries to commit suicide at one part. Um, I mean, there's some ambiguity there, but it seems pretty straight, pretty straightforward. Uh, and she's got this great. She's a beautiful woman, but she just looks tired and guilty and depressed and morose and. Um, I've got so many different favourite lines, so I'll just give up one of them now, which is where she says, in her secret thoughts, I had no thoughts at all, only an overwhelming desire not to feel anything ever again. And I think that really sums up how well this film portrays depression, you know? That's that's the bit when she goes out to the train, isn't it? And uh, yeah. you think she basically contemplates throwing herself in front of the that's express right. train. Because she knows that yeah. the man that she properly loves is, is going off to Africa and she can't have... She doesn't want her life yeah. anymore. So I think it yeah. must have been really subversive at the time, but probably quite liberating for some women. It's obviously a time when probably Bored Housewife was... was uh, the stocks in Bored Housewife was uh, uh, its highest possible and like I say she doesn't have she doesn't have a 2D husband who's abusive and, and horrible to her or possessive and and so she, he implicitly trusts her and the, the final thing is it has to be said is that the Rachmaninoff you know the the, the score the soundtrack the, I thought the it was Rachmaninoff and I'm not one of these people who knows my classical music but I was just like I was like is that Rachmaninoff so I'm glad I point got that well done that's so, great yes. Yeah, when you just get I a little sense pl- I'm of... I'm actually quite pleased with myself. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. There are a few of the greats that you just kind of go, okay, that that sounds like it's probably... It's very brooding, so it must be Beethoven, and that sounds like it's got lots of strings, so it might be Vivaldi, but um, that's well done. Was Rachmaninoff alive during this period? Uh, I don't think so. I'm going to Google that while I talk. Um, I don't yeah. think so, but I, I genuinely don't know. Um, I always think... I, I, I know he's like one of the later composers of like famous classical music composers. Oh, well, I mean, he was uh, he died in 1943, so 
almost ah oh, right so probably just that loud sound that's by me dropping my phone on the table yeah, yeah that's something I have to sort and edit thanks for that <laughs> um, now I think I was talking at the time as well so it's ruined it's, it's, it's stayed there forever it's in the time capsule Hugh we'll have to deal with it um, <laughs> so you know it is and I think that's one of the reasons why the History Boys scene was so evocative and immediately reminded me of the film even ten years after I saw it for one time um because they're challenging the teacher to guess what the film is, and I guessed it, and it was just like, wow, that must be the music, and a little bit mm. of the uh, the accents and so on. Um, so I think there are lots of things you will like about it. I think you will appreciate it on those levels. I don't think you're going to absolutely love this film, but I think you'll appreciate it. I can't really pinpoint things that you'll definitely not like. Obviously, there's, it was 75 years ago. Yeah, 75 years ago. So... There'll be things that have outdated. Maybe you, maybe you're not a big fan of the melodrama, but I think you're smart enough to accept it for a you know a child of its time. Uh, it could be that you just didn't have as strong an emotional reaction as you'd like, but you appreciate that it probably did all the right things. It just maybe not not struck it for you. I don't I don't think it's going to be a film that you love, but I do think it'll be a film uh, that you appreciate. So there's nothing you can specifically say. Oh, Hugh wouldn't like this if that makes sense. I don't I don't think so. I mean, I think. You know, it, I suppose if you think of it like that, that means to you there's no major flaw in the film because, like, sometimes you can always point out like a major flaw in a film, can't you? But that's right. Maybe with this, you're just like, I can't really see one other than it's maybe dated a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think everything you'll be, dates eventually. You know, exactly. I don't think you'll be looking for plot holes or you know the fact that. I don't know. <laughs> well, actually, when they left the flat, it was five forty-four, but they got to the train station at five forty-three. Yeah, the fucking idiots! Take his knighthood off yeah. him, fucking. It's our second yeah. uh, second David Lean film, of course, after Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, uh, it's amazing, like the difference in runtime, isn't it? Between yeah, the two films. Like this is less one, than this half is like the one of length. the shortest films we've done, and the, and that's one of the longest films we've done so you know he's a filmmaker I'd love to see more of because he's obviously so highly regarded and the two or three maybe four films I've seen of his I, I do adore I think I gave Lawrence of Arabia 10 out of 10 so yeah, yeah he liked that director. more than I expected actually and it's not you wouldn't look at this and Lawrence of Arabia and go oh obviously that's the same director in both <laughs> um, which yeah. is why Noel Coward gets so much credit I think for this film because obviously he wrote it it's based on a play of his as well yeah. he started, he's co-starred or you know Minor, minor star cameos in it, and so he has uh, just a big, big part to play in why this film is. Does he have a cameo in this one? He plays um, Doctor Harvey's friend, whose apartment he was going to bang her in. Oh, is that Noel Coward? Coward? Yeah, it's one of those when he came in the room. I was like, oh, I've seen Noel Coward at various ages. I assume that's Noel Coward because he's got that Oscar Wilde, young Stephen Fry, willowy old England about him. You know, yeah, that's Noel Coward. Mm. I believe. Looks like he was, he was. Born in, um, uh, what's it called? That material, that like, plaid <laughs> sort of material. Tweed. Um, tweed, yes. <laughs> very yeah, tweedy. Like he was born in tweed slippers or something. He <laughs> came out of his mother's womb with a top hat and a monocle and tweed slippers. It's, going, oh, it's wonderful to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful, what, what a wonderful life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, actually, I, I never actually checked to see if that actually was Noel Coward. But we'll go for a break, yeah. and I'll I'll double check. I'm pretty you sure check that. that's you check that. You check that. You get your facts straight. You get my yeah. facts straight. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's it. I think you're going to like it. Oh no! Hang on a second. Train station. Oh wait. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, hey. Hang up. on. That wasn't Noel Coward. Um, Richard Burton. Richard Burton. Google does not know what it's talking about. 
So okay. Noel Coward was. Why don't, the why train don't we station. go for a break? Sam? Yeah, this is, feels like an off air discussion. Break. All right. Yeah. Uh, so it probably wasn't Noel Coward. Anyway, chaps, uh, we're going to find out after the break if you liked <laughs> or disliked Brief Encounter. Uh, yeah, it was Valentine Dial. It wasn't Noel Coward. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. Looks a bit like Noel Coward. <laughs> but, Starting off with a correction. Welcome yeah. back, by the way, everyone. Uh, welcome back, indeed. Welcome so, to Please Correct This with please Sam Blakely. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, he so, had that sort of suave, upper-class Englishman about him, didn't he? Hmm, and, hmm. You know, oh, I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can understand women. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He no, I mean, says that. That's the thing with, that, with our show. Sometimes we watch films because one of us ought to have seen it sometimes it's because the other one's an expert in it and wants to recommend it in this case it was you ought to have seen it I have seen it by chance uh, so I'm not an expert sorry about that everyone um, I've let myself down so I'm going to let Hugh speak now um, we're going to get Hugh's views Hugh what did you like about Brief Encounter um, so yeah so what what surprised me actually about Brief Encounter initially was I was impressed with the the, the dialogue the actual kind of almost n- it's not quite natural dialogue, I have to admit, but it feels, you know, you can tell it's well written, if that makes sense. Like, mm. it kind of sets out its chops really early on when it has, you know, it's got the um, the ticket conductor at the station talking to the um, tea rooms lady. And yeah. they're having, like, they're having a conversation about... I'm not even sure what they're having a conversation about. Their little flirty just, chats. I love that little side Yeah, plot. yeah. It's like the B-plot to the film, isn't it, almost? Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I was very surprised at how sort of natural they were talking. And you, you, yeah. you always think of, like, these kind of films from this era as being a bit hyper-real and not very... Melodramatic. You know, a lot of... Yeah, a lot of rather people like you know like <laughs> from the from the theater like, no. who have to project yes the darling the yes yeah 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 yes i love you but <laughs> i cannot say why <laughs> you know that, that's kind of a way you know and um yeah i really liked that about it that really like i was impressed by that i was impressed by um you know we've often said that sometimes voiceovering in a film like this can be lazy writing but yeah. it's actually it works really well in this film because it isn't it isn't her just talking to the audience it's her talking first to her friend on the train and then secondly it's her talking to um, her husband in her head as well yeah. you know she doesn't she doesn't really she don't the, the, the audience hears what's her inner thoughts and what we assume are honest thoughts but it's it's an interesting narrative device to it's it's used more like the tv show few show, weeks. rather than just like let me explain this scene to you because we're too lazy to write yeah it. yeah i wonder if that's what they did because it was this a stage show before it was a it was a, a play yeah still yeah. live play yeah yeah, so that would probably that would work. That always kind of works really well in a play sort of setting, doesn't it? Where you've got, you know, you've got the person kind of talking to the audience, but really pretending to talk to their friend. Um, yeah, I like the fact that, like you said, the the husband is a sympathetic character in this film. He's he's really nice. He's dot. He's almost doting on his wife. He really like, is when. When like I wasn't expecting that at all. I thought they'd be like, you know, I thought the marriage would be quite cold. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I was looking for a reason. 
to you're looking for almost a reason to sympathize with her and in many ways she has this perfect housewife life doesn't she you know she goes yeah she goes to the she goes to the shops every thursday she goes and, <laughs> you know goes and watches us goes to the pictures uh she's yeah she's got a nice comfortable life there's no no you know she's got two nice children you know they're they by the way the world's poshest child <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable the poshness as well is fantastic because um when Stephen fry was casting and kind of training people for his film bright young things which is based on the yeah. novel so sort of similar time i think 1929 that came yeah. out and so um, all these actors, he had a few in there that we'd really recognise, like David Tennant and a young James McAvoy. They were they were speaking in what they thought was posh accents, but it was really kind of like the accents from this film, or maybe slightly less mm. posh, which were kind of lower middle class. Not they, posh enough. They weren't upper class. And he said, you know, mm. he, he took her to some, I think it was like a Mitford sister or one of the people who was a socialite with them in the 20s. And she said the best way I could do it, the best way I could say it is that they get two or three syllables when it should be one. So instead of saying, oh, they'll say, oh, <laughs> like this. And uh, <laughs> I, obviously I don't really have the clipped kind of uh, BBC voice for it. But but yeah, it's gone off. There's always an R in off, you know, that oh, sort of thing. Yeah. Is it the rotic R, I think they call it? That sounds about right. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen that bit myself yeah because is is uh, michael sheen in that film as well when he's he young? is yeah. And yeah is emma thompson in it she always seems to be in she's these not. things no she's not she's not in a stephen fry film <laughs> unbelievable yeah <laughs> um yeah no it's i've not seen the film i've seen bits of it um i might recommend all, it seen, one time it's not one of my favorite is that films, the film that you brought round to my house and left the dvd Oh, that's Peter's friend. Have oh, I still got the case to that? I'll I think you've got the check. case, I've got the disc. <laughs> Shit, where's the case? <laughs> I don't... No, I think you took it back with you. Possible. I don't have it. Possible, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, there is there is a lot of... It is a very upper middle class sort of world that this woman inhabits. Like, I was worried that no, might put you off. Was that, was that ever a problem for you? It's not... No, they're not the problem. And I'll, I'll I'll get into one of the problems later, okay. but that's not it's not a problem because that's just the world these characters inhabit. That's not their fault. Um, that's the world kind of Noel Coward understood and knew. It can put you off though, could. even if you're like I understand why they're like that. But well, it, it, not, can, it can make you not, not enjoy the film as much. Well, she's not a pretentious person. Do you know what right. I mean? She's quite she's quite a quiet, mild mannered, sensible as she calls herself. Person, you know, she doesn't. You you know I think the the, the 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 success of this film and I did like this film and I liked it more than I expected. Um, like my anticipation for it wasn't that high because even though I knew it was a classic film, I was like ah, but it's you know a nineteen forties British rom romance film that don't, they don't <laughs> tend to be you know that overly exciting uh, to be frank, but. Um, yeah, the, I think the success in this film is that despite everything, you still have sympathy for Celia's uh, Celia Johnson's character. Yeah, Laura. Um, which, Laura. Yeah, she's she is because she's she's not a bad person. It's like you said, she's kind of accidentally falling in love with this doctor, who is they, they've actually got very similar personalities. I think he's quite reserved as well, and um, you know, it's it's a you know it's a. It, it's an accident, you know, that they um, that they 
they bump into each other. Frankly. Yeah, she's not on that. She what was that? What was that dating site? Ashley Madison was it that leaked all yeah. this information? Yeah. It was a place. Yeah, to go life's have an too affair. short or something. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Life's too short or something. Have an affair. For. <laughs> yeah, have an affair. Yeah, yeah. So it was. You know, they they bump into each other kind of quite naturally. Um, I loved all the steam trains in this. Oh, God, steam trains are dramatic, aren't they? They're great. Um, yeah, and then they just keep bumping into each other for the first couple of times. And then, yeah, like their relationship kind of... I mean, they're literally, what, they must meet each other like three or four times and like have this... Like they just kind of click, I think, which is interesting, which is sweet in a way. But I think, yeah, I think you do feel sorry for because... And the reason you feel sorry for it, and I think one of the better things about this film is it all hinges around her guilt... And how guilty she feels for being happy, but the guilt she feels about what she's doing to her husband, and yeah. the like, the effects that she's probably having on um, uh, Doctor Harvey's husband, uh, husband, Doctor Harvey's wife as well. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, in, bit- in any sort of romantic film where there's a misunderstanding and somebody's found cheating or it seems like they're kissing somebody, you'd want them to have this entire. 90 minute long confession letter explaining the context rather than just like they were actively seeking an affair because they're bored and they're just yeah. the, they're the enemy you know yeah and um, you know the guilt she feels about lying and like how she's like she knows that um, she knows that Dr. Harvey's going to lie to his wife as well which is interesting and something that I was surprised at is just how this film was all from her point of view. It's actually not really about him. It's about her. She's the star of this film, which I think is a bit harsh on her, really. <laughs> Do you know, like, when when you look at the poster and everything, it's like they're double-billed and all that. Mm. It's, for me, it's it's her that's the star of the film, not him, really. He's obviously a major character in it, but... Yeah, she's the protagonist, sort of, isn't she, I suppose? And yeah. Because we don't see any of his family. I mean, we, we're just taking his word for it that he's got wife and kids. Maybe he does this to everyone yeah. when he meets in the train station. Could be. He could be. Oh, yeah, he could be terrible for all we know. And you know who he grew into? Harold Shipman. Potentially. Um, I've got serial killers on the mind. I've been teaching uh, crime psychology, forensic psychologists. uh, (laughs) I'm primed to think of your Shipmans and your Bundys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else did I like about this film? Yeah, I, I I don't know how I feel about the end, if I'm being honest. Because does she confess to her husband? Or does she just say, oh, I've not been feeling all right. It's been like I've been living a dream. And then he's like, come back to me, Laura, or whatever. And it is interesting. Everything's that, okay the, the, the meaning of that, because she just, to his mind, she's come home, she's a bit upset. He's a bit oblivious anyway, so he doesn't know any mm. of this stuff. And she's basically just been looking into the distance while this film plays. And yeah, he says, uh, thank you for coming back to me. And I, 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 yeah. for me, I really love the ambiguity of that because to the viewer, it looks like he's genuinely thanking her for choosing him over this other guy. But he, the character doesn't really know about the other guy. It's a, it's a strangely tender moment that actually doesn't yeah. make sense. But for me, yeah. I didn't really care. I don't think it's how I would have ended the film personally. But that's just. But what I mean, what are you wanting? Like a resolution? She's not going to leave her husband and like meet him at the train station. They fly off to the Barbados. (laughs) She's always going to go back to her husband, isn't she? 
Do you, well, I suppose when the film's called Brief Encounter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the Times you know, as well, especially at the Times. You know, like, if yeah, it was made now, it would be, there'd be a scene at the end where it's like, oh, when we got joint custody and everybody's happy and he doesn't hold anything against yeah. me, he understands. But, you know, because really, <laughs> there was no question really if she was ever going to leave her husband, I don't think. I think if it was made today, when she runs out to throw herself in front of the express train, he'd be on the other platform, <laughs> still waiting for her or something, you know, yeah, that kind of way. Yeah, um, which feels but, cheap, I think. In, yeah, the, in the same way that, in the same way that it would have been cheaper to have her husband as being a terrible husband. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit more formulaic. Though. Yeah, and I think the guilt. I think I think the one thing I take away from this film is just how well that actress um, Celia Johnson plays the guilt of the character. Yeah, and how well, and you can see it written all over her face. Um, yeah. One thing that did strike me about this film, which was interesting, is I think I looked it up. So she was like about thirty six or thirty seven when this film was made. That's right. But she looks about forty odd. <laughs> she's she's. It's horrible to say because there's a picture of her in another film from like a year or two earlier, um, and she's in like her mid thirties. She looks, she doesn't look good for it <laughs> for a movie star. Well, she's, it's interesting, very... isn't it? Because yeah, you don't want her to be this stunning yeah. model, but also, I mean, she looks great for somebody in their late thirties in the nineteen forties. To be fair, yeah, yeah. And what surprised me even more was the guy playing Dr. Harvey. I just assumed he was about the same age, yeah. maybe a bit older. He's 32. Yeah. He's like a... They even talk about being in middle age. That's right. But <laughs> what was like life expectancy other than the war in, in the like, 40s? I yeah, mean, maybe men back in the day did dress a bit differently and made them look a lot older, I suppose. I'm going to I'm gonna look at life expectancy. Let's say 1938, right? Because if it's, say, 70... Then 35 is middle age. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he died when he was... They all died. All of them died in, the, like, the uh, mid-70s, like, 73, 74. There's one surviving member of the cast, and it's the... Oh, is there? The young assistant the in the uh, in the station cafe. She recently... What, the girl? Yeah, she's, like, 19, uh, like, the, the assistant girl. And uh, she recently got remarried in her 90s, uh, which was <laughs> quite interesting. I mean, I imagine the kids... It's still alive from this film. I don't think they are. It's so depressing to like a film from the 40s. No, I don't think they are. Bloody hell, how are they dead now? <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, it's 75 years ago, isn't it? So they'd be, well, yeah. you know, knocking off. 80, <laughs> wouldn't they? Actually, yeah. you know what? Maybe I didn't even look at them because they're not on the IMDb cast list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're literally in it for like two seconds. It is a bit of a strange scene, that, actually. But yeah, I think for me... Like I said, the big takeaway from this film was Laura's guilt and how she felt about the cheating. And yeah, I think you're right. There's there's so many easy like tropes they could have gone down to make this a a, a different kind of film that probably wouldn't have you know maybe would have satisfied the audience. But really, that's not this story. And like you said, they probably would have shown them like when she went to the flat and then his friend turns up. I thought she was going there to like sleep with him. And that would have been, like, it would have cut to them, like, being together and then cut away because it's, like, the 40s or whatever. Well, apparently when Trevor Howard was told about this scene and he was talking to David Lean about it and he and he says, mm. you know, he couldn't understand why he wouldn't just immediately make love to her the yeah. second she got to the flat. And David Lean said, actually, now that they've finally been given, basically they've got the, the space to be away from the public and actually consummate their, their love... 
that's when they get a bit shy. And apparently Trevor Howard's like, you're a very peculiar man. <laughs> that he wouldn't immediately plough into her. Um, and I, 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 you know, I, 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 I wouldn't of, immediately rail her, would yeah, he sound? <laughs> I sort of prefer it because it's not like, they, it's not like they've got this lustful relationship. Obviously they fancy each other, but it's not really about trying to find yeah. somewhere to, to go for a quick bang. And um, <laughs> it also inspired Billy Wilder to make uh, The Apartment, which I don't think you've seen, have you? Yeah. which is largely about somebody who rents out their apartment for his for people to have sex in <laughs> and so Damn he right. was inspired by that by that whole that whole shebang fair enough fair enough yeah, yeah it is interesting and it was and I think it obviously it, it's better for the film that he interrupts and she has that literal dark night of the soul sort of situation oh yeah definitely um, yeah I appreciated that that was how it how it played out, but I was I was a little surprised. I think they would do that in today's cinema, but yeah, I, no, I really love this film. I think it's really good. Um, it's very telling of a certain period in, I suppose, British history. I guess you know, it's a, you know, people don't talk like this really anymore. Do you know what I mean? There's that that generation of people who's who live their lives like that is probably gone gone forever. I would say in this country, yeah, you know, you still get don't get me wrong, you still get posh. You get upper middle class posh people like, um, you know the the um, Jessons, but I don't know. There's just there's just a certain behaviour coupled with an accent that's just not there anymore. Really, I suppose. Did, did the you world... find that you liked that? The, the, I because I, I really I you know you know, you know me I like Stephen Fry Oscar Wilde type of things. I really like that. Mm. I, did you find that charming, or was it kind of just this is a well? It's part of the charm of the film. Yeah. It re- you know it's that it's that English reserve as you said this stiff upper lip you know if this was a French film they would have been shagging all over the place. They? <laughs> There's <laughs> a little bit be... about that actually they they did think that maybe the only place it'll be po- uh, successful is France the you know cheesy and surrender monkeying adulterers and uh, yeah. they didn't actually really want it until it won at Cannes um, and so really? it's funny enough it was one of the few places they actually yeah. wanted it. They well, the French would be like. Why aren't they sleeping together? <laughs> it, it, it probably would be disgusted very, very, by the lack of actual adultery. Yeah, they would have been surprised. Yeah, um, but it is. Yeah, it's a sweet film, isn't it? It's bittersweet. I've made a note here in my film. In yeah, the end, that's really because, good like you said, it is. It is a brief encounter where these two basically they fall in love very quickly. I, I, I realised, you know, it's like a matter of four weeks, but maybe they've seen each other five times or yeah, something. Yeah, but I mean, it often happens like that, doesn't it? It's not necessarily love at first sight, but it's just a case of, um, yeah, it falling into place. And I don't know, when, when I was when I was single for a long time and you sort of think, well, I'm never ever going to meet somebody because how does that ever happen? And then you mm. meet somebody and, and you just hit it off. And so, you know, with my fiancé, there was no games about oh maybe I shouldn't text for a couple of days or whatever. It was a case of well let's let's meet up again as quickly as we can after the first date and then the next date and the next date really. And I think yeah. it, it does happen to people, you know. Oh no, I'm not saying it doesn't. It's just yeah, I was I was surprised at the speed of it. And that's all. But um, yeah, there's like there's yeah there's a lot to like about this film. Um, the only things I didn't like about it, um, I I've just put I've, I've put a question here, and this is and this is. This maybe isn't a criticism, but I think it's a, it is a question worth asking. Is it just one for the housewives? Is it one for the bored housewives who dream about being swept off their feet by a charming doctor? Is there a bit? Is it a bit of a cliche, or is this the cliche? That's is this the is this the story that set up the cliche? Because you feel like the that Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde, sorry, um, 
Noel Coward's writing to a very specific audience, you know, and I'm clearly not in that audience. <laughs> what do you What do you think to that? Well, and I is think, that, and is that a criticism of, in in of itself? No, it's not because you know, Commando is a great film, but that's for a certain <laughs> audience. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, the think, bored housewives of Middle England, yeah. <laughs> not so much into into Commando. <laughs> uh, well, I would think that if I didn't feel something about the film. You yeah. know, the proof is in the pudding with that. Actually, it's not just for the board housewives because I had an emotional connection to it. Um, you probably did too. And it's easy enough to connect oh, yeah. to Laura's plight and the situation. So I don't... I, I think it's a fair question to ask, but I, it's it's yeah. not as cheap as that, is it? It's uh, it's more than that. Yeah. No, that's... Because it's not, fair, it's not a Mills enough. and Boone novel in film form, if that makes sense. You know, it's not like no. a... It's not some, I don't know. It's not somebody who sees a stable boy and he's really fit and he rides a horse and he and ravishes her in the in the barn. In the barn. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, he's not. And, is and it? The, you know, the goalkeeper comes out slash vicar, and um, <laughs> it's not that though, is it? Because it's more than that. The goalkeeper. Yeah, it's a Friends reference. Uh, Joey's reading oh, right. uh, Rachel's. Oh, yeah, when she's reading, when he's reading About Rachel's the vicar. book. <laughs> Do you know what a vicar is? Like a goalie. <laughs> Sorry, twenty-year-old reference, but you know, uh, no, I think fair question. But like I say, because I had an emotional connection to it, I don't think that's true. That's that's fair enough, fair enough. Because yeah. that's that was the only thing I kind of thought. Oh well, maybe it could be just a a bit of, you know, it's. Like, oh, I can write films for this audience sort of right. exercise rather than I want to write this this story about love and anguish, if that makes sense. Well, in the critic response, I'll get into maybe possibly what the film was about from Noel Coward's perspective. Uh, and it's not yeah. so much a bored housewives thing, but uh, no, fair point. But uh, yeah, like I said, not for me. Um, do you yeah. get into the favourite scenes, etc.? Uh, I've just got another one, one, other, one other criticism. Sure. Um, the only other thing I... The one thing I genuinely didn't like about this film, if I'm being honest, is I, I just didn't like the representation of the working classes in it. <laughs> they're, they're so one-dimensional. There's only about two so, of them, isn't there? No, but every scene that they're in, it's just painful. And it's very... There were, it, it, it felt very snobby, if I'm being mm. honest. Um, they are awful, though, aren't and, they? The working classes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The unwashed masses, the hoi ploy, <laughs> the riffraff, you know, the plebs. But no, they were, I didn't I didn't really like the way they, they were portrayed. They were either figures, they were figures of amusement in this entire film. Now, like, like there's the, the whole Mrs. Baggett tea shop woman and her flirty relationship with this, um, you know, ticket conductor at the train station and like there's even like there's a little, like, little bit of chivalry and he's like you know holding his lapels and he's all <laughs> proud of himself you know for saying op it three times yeah. to those soldiers and it's yeah those soldiers are arseholes that it they're all kind of looked down upon and i i didn't like that i thought it was a bit it was yeah, a bit disingenuous enough. and it was yeah and I, that's probably the only real criticism like I mean at literally one point he comes in and smacks her ass when she's putting coal or wood on the fire and like um, was that a thing though like if you watch Mad Men or whatever that seems to be a thing just like I'm not saying it isn't a thing (laughs) I mean it is kind of strange but it's one of those where that wouldn't have happened to to Celia Johnson's character 
like she wouldn't be like bent over something and the doctor would have gone, oi, oi, love, <laughs> oi, oi, how's your father? You know, it's, it's funny, uh, isn't it? Because be- there's a snobbery or there's, there's like a... respectability about that person. It's that interesting. I don't know if you watch like yeah. This Is England, it's not snobbish because it feels like it's written and made by people who sympathise and live that life. Whereas yeah. I can see your point here. It feels like Sir David Lean and Noel Coward might maybe not live that life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Understandable. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I didn't quite... I felt it was one-dimensional. I, there was charm to it. Like, obviously, like, I didn't dislike the little side plot with the with Mrs. Baggett and the train ticket guy but at the same time I didn't like how they were represented although I could see that in a way as a narrative device they were kind of the they were the opposite to what Laura and Dr Harvey had they could express their feelings in public and even though she didn't want to express them in public Mrs Bagger you knew they were there because she would just little hints it was like oh you better behave like a gentleman this evening (laughs) you know well it's interesting you say that so uh, I'm going to bring up 1984 for the 12th time this week and uh, in, in that the the people, the, the proles actually, the, the they call them the proles. Obviously, they work the proletariat. They yeah, are the not subject to the same. Um, prole. <laughs> they're not subject to the same scrutiny as the middle classes in 1984. Um, right. They're sort of allowed to just get drunk in pubs and live their lives a little bit, uh, but they obviously don't have access to lots of luxuries. And it's only the people in, in the inner circles and the inner parties who are scrutinised the whole time. And so, a big big part of Winston Smith is he's saying you know if only they if they only they understood what we might call now a fourth class consciousness if only they understood their situation they could actually win if there's hope it's from the proles um, and I quite like that you know I quite like that she's worried about respectability and vulgarity and all that whereas yeah the, let's say the proles in this film they're just kind of enjoying their lives yeah they're but, acting yeah, in their, like instincts aren't they I suppose. <laughs> like the animals yeah. that they are the filthy unsophisticated animals <laughs> all right then go on then let's get into it let's get to so favorite number one favorite scene for you i liked the scene when he's in the cafe is it is it at the not at the end is it yeah well it is near the end but when i think it's when she goes to the train station at like 10 to 10 at night and um they're having that little conversation there i guess um about the beginning of the end of the relationship and all that and like this is a first for please watch this i'm actually currently watching that scene right now as you describe it can you imagine it's been about a year since i mentioned that you know it's like this is an audio audio podcast isn't it <laughs> wait a minute if i turn up the yeah. if i turn up the volume here no maybe no you can hear it. <laughs> stop messing <laughs> i love you lorna i shall love you always until the end of my life and look at you now because i know something i know that this is the beginning of the end there we go the beginning of the end they literally said that phrase that you just said yeah yeah don't know if that so, came through um, the mic. That might have just been a big bunch of silence, but let's hope. Yeah, I might have to. I might, I'm going to have to probably put that in now. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and in a break from tradition, that is my favourite line as well. Interesting. Yeah, it, it was the best part of the film for me. What about you, Sam? What was your favourite scene? I um, 
really liked the the scene that we see twice, the the opening scene to the film that we then see oh, in yeah, context yeah, the second yeah. time. Because I remember watching it thinking, hang on, isn't that the guy? What's going on here? Why is this the first scene? Um, and obviously we see in context just what an annoying, dithering, blithering <laughs> gas bag Dolly is, you know, to just be like barging on their special moment, you know. And it's it's just wonderful. It's, it sort of sums up the film, that, that this unspoken tension. Yeah, no, it is it is brilliant, isn't it? It's well done because as soon as you know that the like their last day together, you realise that that um, like yeah, you, you that scene at the beginning makes more sense and her emotion and her like state of mind and consciousness, and then and then like obviously you see her, you see him put her hand on her shoulder on her yeah, shoulder yeah. and leave, and then again he. But then, when you see it again, an hour and a like nearly an hour and a half later, it has a totally different context and meaning. Yeah. So, and I love, yeah. I love seeing that. I love seeing how. It, uh, I mean, a lot of TV shows do it where it's like, oh, let's go, let's watch the scene, and then we go back in time and we'll see it from somebody else's mm. perspective. And as much as I don't like it when they do it too much, I'm looking at US Arrested Development season five um, or four. <laughs> I do like it. I do like that that mechanism of of seeing that uh, that context. Yeah. Favorite line. So you said it was the. This is the. What was it? The beginning of the end. Not not my love Pretty. for you. Yeah, the bit you've literally just played. Yeah. That came through. Yeah. Uh, I put... Um, yeah, he's like, I love you, Laura. I shall love you always until the end of my life. I can't look at you now because I know something. <laughs> I know that this is the beginning of the end, not the end of my love, uh, my loving you, but the end of our beginning being together. But not quite yet, darling. Please, not quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like not so, quite yet it's a lo- <laughs> I chose quite a lot of favourite lines so I think the one that made me laugh a bit the most and I, I really liked so I'll, in fact I'll, I'll put two together because they're in the same secret thoughts okay. um, when she's on the train with Dolly so you know Laura's just gone through basically this massive breakup she's never going to see him again she nearly tried to kill herself and she's thinking in her head while Dolly's prattling on I wish I could trust you I wish you were a wise, kind friend instead of a gossiping acquaintance I've known casually for years. And then later says, I wish you'd stop talking. I wish you'd stop prying and trying to find things out. I wish you were dead. No, I don't mean that. That was silly and unkind. But I wish you'd stop talking. And there's two reasons I really like that. Firstly, it's because because it's her inner thoughts, she allows herself to think the things that she actually does think. Like, I wish you were fucking dead. Because <laughs> you're the most annoying <laughs> person the on the fuck planet. fuck up, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you self And another thing I really liked was... Um, a bit of advice. I don't. I don't think someone gave me this advice. I saw it somewhere anyway, and it was you know, one of the reasons why you shouldn't be a gossip and talk bad about people behind their back to other people is because they're thinking, well, what are you saying about me behind my back? Yeah. You know. And so Dolly being such a gossip and so on, she knows she can't tell her anything. Yeah, she can't she's trust a, her. Yeah. yeah, she's an acquaintance. She's just telling her everything about other people. Um, but I do think. Yeah. Yeah, I do think ultimately my favourite, just as a, just as an evocation of, of depression, was the I had no thoughts at all, only an overwhelming desire not to feel anything again. It's just yeah. really wonderfully captures it. Yeah, that Dolly comes in, like they don't even get to say goodbye properly, do they? Because Dolly just turns <sighs> up and he's bitch. like, oh, I'll buy you a cup of tea and all this, yeah. He can't be like, I have to go now, I love you. <laughs> you know, that's, again, that's kind of like, that's that's what makes it good is because most films they do have that moment where yeah. they're like but I love you I can't be without you and then you know they leave anyway like, because like I don't Casablanca, know about you but I, I, I never feel anything in those moments and like those triumphant moments of films where it's like where they finally kiss and so to go back mm. to so the apartment 
I won't give anything away at all actually so the apartment does a thing uh, Ricky Gervais was really inspired by that and in a lot of his films he so I'll use a Ricky Gervais example so I'm not spoiling the apartment in any sort of way for you um, in mm. Ghost Town um, that Ricky Gervais was in he is a dentist and has a like a love plot with uh, Tia Leone and at the end he meets her with her he meets up with her after a while and she says she's got I don't know some some dental problem and he says something like I'm your man and it's not like they embrace and kiss it's just him saying something that sort of solidifies that and for me that not a perfect film I really like it that is much more effective than da 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 you know they kiss yeah, and it's yeah. all here to eternity know, real credits of. yeah 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 I know what you mean yeah and it's and it is kind of like the real world gets kind of comes in at certain points in this film doesn't it yeah They're, they have to deal with people they know and like you know they have to act civil and you know not say what they're really feeling to one yeah. another so much more yeah. effective uh, did you have a favourite shot from the film um, I like the bit when Laura runs out to the platform and you just kind of see her and she um, you might yeah, see yeah, me on the camera yeah, I literally you, I put you that scene her. on my phone and, and, she's like, and did a screenshot of it <laughs> Yeah, she's like that, that drama in her face. At first, I did think she was running out to um, to see if he was there. Yeah, like it was a real surprise. She was like, and then when she's like, "Oh, she wanted to throw herself in front of the train," I'm like, "Damn, <laughs> it's got dark real fast." Because it's yeah. it's a really good as much as there is um, an inner monologue slash narration the whole way through the film. There is a lot of show mm. don't tell in this film, and that is one. It's not like she sat there thinking, "God, I wish I'd die- I wish I was dead." Okay, uh, I'm going to try and throw myself into this. You know, or she doesn't go, "Bugger, d- too late." <laughs> you know, we see on her <laughs> face that she was too late, and then she reconsiders, and it is a brilliant shot it's got the the black and white um film uh convention of having just a strip of light across the eyes uh, oh yeah the classic which is i yeah. think really effective to, i've only seen it's, the, I don't it's know, probably I've, the only like sort of lighting effect that works better in black and white than it does color yeah here's a question quickly before we move on is this one of those films where if it was in color it would be better because when i watched it's a wonderful life and i the, i ended up seeing the color version just just that was the one that I saw. And then I went back and watched little bits and pieces of the black and white version. And for me, I felt that the colour version was the better version. Now, whether this was just my, like, um, recency bias or whatever you right. want to call it, because that was the f- or, uh, first... Maybe primacy bias. Oh, yeah. yeah, something like that. that. That was the one that was anchored in my mind, because that was the one I'd seen first. That was why I thought it... Do you think it matters with this film? Personally, I don't. I think Quite it's honestly. so of the time that I've got no, yeah. I've got no, uh, yeah, desire to watch it in colour. Yeah, and I don't know why it's a wonderful life was better in colour, but I think, I think because it's such a, it, it, well, it's got such a, it's got a different atmosphere to it, I suppose that film, and there's a like there are know, jolly the main moments in that and, film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, he's actually quite a. He's, you know, until he has this, like you said, Dark Knight of the Soul again, he's a very positive person, isn't he? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's the dance. Uh, what's what's the character? What's his George name again Bailey. in that? Sorry? George Bailey, yeah. He's not, um, you know, he's not a misanthrope, is he? He's, no. a, he's a very out, positive, outward-looking guy. And, you know, he does all he can for, like, this small town in the end and things like that. But, um, yeah. Good, That's, good, yeah. So, so that know, was your favourite shot as well, sorry. I'm that guessing. is my favourite shot, yeah, that was my favourite shot. It was just so yeah. well done and so meaningful and, I, and, and it didn't need words. Uh, yeah, I do so, like, 
I do like the shot though when they're under the in the little subway and you can see like the countryside in the background and the little tower and you know like the church tower and stuff like that although you could kind of tell it was a set I guess at that point that was my only maybe not criticism but you know that's clearly not a real location I don't think or it might have been but it didn't look it I'm not sure to be honest Um, I doubt it no there's some some nice shots in this and most of the nice shots are just on her face while she's figuring something out which she does really excellently well there's a few shots um, so as always I'm watching in the background as it happens it's right towards the end and um, he's just left and it's close up on her face and it's just that old black and white film technique where the rest of the scene behind it goes dark and you just see her Mm. face and then when Mm. she comes to basically it lights up again it's a really effective technique I think so yeah, yeah, lots, yeah. Lots, to, lots to say about the film. What we're going to do is go for a little break, and when we come back, we're going to get some uh, some numbers involved. We're going to get some critics' uh, ratings and scores, a bit of social media, get Hughes rating, and then have a little quiz. So uh, join us after the break. Alright, welcome back to the final stage of Please Watch This on Boofing Alright, 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 alright. All right, all right. <laughs> now, uh, Hugh, often we would like to get Roger Ebert's take on it, but the RogerEbert.com website didn't have Roger Ebert, so there's no no chance for Roger Ebert to make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, would Roger Ebert even been alive in 1945? Uh, no, oh, alive. Uh, yeah. Potentially. Maybe not, maybe not. But anyway... Uh, he wouldn't have been reviewing films at that point. No, he might have been concentrating on learning to. <laughs> but t- obviously, a lot of a lot of big <laughs> critics like him will go back and, and review a film. I couldn't find one from him, but I could find one from. Uh, oh, he was alive. He was he was three years three old. years old. There you go. So not quite there yet with the old quill or chalk. Um, yeah. So I went for Peter Bradshaw, who's a recurring feature in our critics section. How many stars? Excuse me. How many stars out of? A really mad five-star uh, chart rather than four. How many stars out of five would Peter Bradshaw give it here? Well, it's this is it, isn't it? It's one of those where because it's a classic, he wouldn't have been watching it if it was a if it was a if it wasn't a classic. So I'm probably gone with five stars. I imagine five stars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let me read a little bit from his review. Only those with a heart and a brain of stone could fail to be moved. The newcomers will have to acclimatise themselves to those flattened upper-middle-class cla- upper vowel sounds, of which now only the Queen is a native speaker. The, th- the film is yeah. thrillingly, unapo- unapologetically about decency and honour, about, as Laura Hart ending- heart-rendingly puts it, controlling oneself. The eroticism that we might expect now from such a story has been displaced into idealism and self-denial. And in its very remarkable final speech by Laura's husband, Fred, a lovely performance by Cyril Raymond, uh, Noel Coward makes the case for not talking about things. Of course, as a gay man in pre-Wolfenden Britain, Coward might have drawn on very different emotional memories of forbidden love and brief encounters in railway stations. And I'm only yeah. half-joking when I say that Brokeback Mountain is this film's spiritual inheritor. It is Noel Coward's masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, I, it wasn't. I was kind of. I did kind of sit when I was reading it and think, well, what does Noel Coward know about like l- romantic liaisons with women? With <laughs> people know, he's not the, supposed to have romantic liaisons with, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, was he was he one of those people who was you know quote unquote married? No, he never never married actually. Attention. But he was closeted. Yeah. Was he? Was that? Was Noel Coward one of those people who became? 
apparent that he was gay after he died or something like that. I don't know enough. Because there's that. Because totally there's the running joke if you've seen Goodnight Sweetheart where nobody realizes he's gay. <laughs> 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 and um, yeah, obviously, Thingy's character is it Tony? I think he's called. Knows obviously he's gay. Right. But obviously, won't say anything. Same with you. Know, well, it's like uh, the great bit in that film, Cemetery Junction, where he says, you know, uh, oh, you know you've got all this rubbish classical music stop playing music by Puffs and stick on some Elton John because it's set in the 70s <laughs> <laughs> I like um, Austin Powers Liberace gay <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's, it's wonderful because you look back and you go well of course and you know very much in the Oscar Wilde Stephen Fry mould in, in, in many ways it's, mm. it's almost as though having to be so secretive it's you, you create those masks and those uh, wonderful characters out of that, you know. Yeah, I, d- I suppose like, like from Oscar Wilde through Noel Coward to Stephen Fry, it's like a this like through line, isn't it, of like these literary yeah. figures and you know, polymath sort of characters, yeah, absolutely, yeah. just wit, yeah. just a public um, wit. Yeah, raconteur, yeah. Who, like, you know, upper class public wit. Yeah, and, and I, I love <laughs> it. Know. I've, you know, you know me. Always have, yeah, because you're an upper class Frank. public homosexual wit. I'm a closeted <laughs> upper class <laughs> homosexual yeah. wit yeah. polymath. Um, yeah. uh, sticking with the Guardian, it was named number one best romantic film of all time in the Guardian ten or eleven years ago. Ooh, David Thompson at the time wrote, "As for Celia Johnson, it is due largely to her that the film is still so moving. Her, hag- her mm. agony and her rapture." stay interior and they flip-flop like nerves in this beautiful grave black and white movie her voice is measured but the eyes are desperate that she holds the film together is beyond doubt and it really isn't in her eyes and it's you know it's a funny thing where you have this internal life and this external life because she's living all this to the audience and then she just sort of like cries a bit and breaks down in front of her husband and he's got no idea of any why she would be crying or breaking down at all he's just like ah women eh? hysterical (laughs) exactly (laughs) Let's get some chocolate. I'll get the dildo out. <laughs> <laughs> but weirdly, they didn't, didn't see that. We didn't, you know, they cut that scene. Yeah, that's the next scene. Yeah, yeah. that's after after the credits have rolled. Sort of in scene. the same way that they had them in separate beds. Uh, yeah, I found that a bit peculiar. Uh, very much. I was wondering time. if that was. I was wondering if that was something actually of the time, or if it was a, a censorship. It's thing a decency thing. What was the, what was the two? I think Bert and Ernie were the first two people to be shown in the same bed on TV. Uh, well, I say people, burn, and obviously one division played up yeah. to that in their first or second episode, yeah. uh, really wonderfully. Yeah. Um, let's get your rating then. I really, I really don't know where this is going to land. I've got a oh, suspicion. Just before we move on, on, was there any? Could you find any critics who were a bit like, eh, not as good as it used there, as it thought? There it is some negative criticism. Metacritic were very positive. They give it a ninety-two percent. Um, aggregated mm. score, but if you, you kind of look at the neg- the the thing, there's the Chicago Reader. Um, it's one of those I can only find the, uh, the sort of summary page rather than the actual full uh, full article. Survives more mm. as a social document than a genuinely compelling drama. And I thought, well, that's not true. Mm. No, I don't think that's true. So, but it can be both. I feel like it is both. It certainly can be both. Yeah. It is definitely you do you don't watch it because it for its historical context. You watch it because. And enjoy it because it's a compelling, forbidden love story, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's way more than that. It, it happens to be a social mm. document and a wonderfully compelling drama. So yeah, ninety-two on Metacritic. You know, the pe- pe- the critics love it anyway, and most people love it. In fact, before I get cool. to uh, the most important critic in the world, which is you, I'll do a bit of socials. Mm-hmm. Um, try and right. try and get some people involved. There is a lot of love for it um, online. I, I basically asked, "What are your thoughts?" 
and what are your thoughts of it as the best romantic comedy uh, sorry best yeah. romantic film and there was a, quite a few people mentioned the Before series obviously we watched Before Sunrise uh, Before Sunrise yeah. the first of the trilogy um, so Shay Savage who I believe uh, appeared a couple of weeks ago um, Brief Encounter is gorgeous but I'd still give it to the Before movies um, yeah our good friend Harper from Harper Overthinks said for me it's Before Sunset uh, so she's a uh, right. more so of a she, she preferred it. Similar Max Noble, prob- uh, before Sunrise probably still takes it. So uh, there's there's an element of that where you know it's these, we're seeing a meet cute and their relationship develop. A few other suggestions yeah. were made as well. Um, so for example, Eunice. I think the before the films are a bit different. Or the, that before Sunrise is a bit different to this though, isn't it? Because they're allowed to be. Yeah a couple in that they're allowed to be romantic they have geographical restrictions but they don't have to hide it in public yeah, do they no I think I'm trying to think of something is there any films that are comparable to it where it is like couples who shouldn't be together I mean Unrequited Love together. is one of the oldest things isn't it and you go back to Romeo yeah. and Juliet and way before that presumably but I yeah uh, not off the top of my head right now yeah. actually yeah yeah it's interesting I'd be uh Maybe something we can think about and maybe talk about next week yeah, or something, absolutely. perhaps. I don't know. I'll get a couple carry more. On, uh, carry on, Eunice Galfo. I assume that's how I pronounce uh, your name, Eunice. Um, but The Apartment is the best movie ever made. And The Apartment I do want to watch with you very soon, <laughs> actually. So that is cool. fair. I, I might even prefer The Apartment. Again, seen it once. We'll see. Uh, let's get one or two more then. So Matt Gottardi said maybe, but Laura Jessen, the protagonist, is obnoxious as fuck. What do you think about Laura as being obnoxious? I questioned it. Mm, and Matt said um, she treats others like no. shit I know it's old upper class and all but damn uh, they're, they're a bit dismissive of the cellist and you know oh yeah yeah And the, I mean yeah that is a funny little bit where the, the, she turns out to be a, the pianist at the theatre as well yeah. the pictures um, yeah that wasn't the kind of actually in fact of, the, of all the things that where I was complaining about the way they treat like the lower classes so to speak in this film that wasn't the one thing that I actually thought of, because it was just like they were, you know, she is bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They were being, they were being honest, and she, you know, and then when she turned up, it it was a funny moment, and you could it was a moment they shared together. So that made sense to me. It was more the moments that they kind of looked in upon rather than the protagonists were active part of. On a similar sense. note, Ben Mulholland said it's hard for me to sympathise with the main characters due to it being an extramarital affair, um, despite the conflict within her. Is that sort of the point? Do you think, or could I think could that if she wasn't likable? I think if she didn't have, if she wasn't racked with guilt, and she just went with it, and she, it was only right at the end where she was like, "No, no, I can't do this." You know, think of Fred and the kids, but <laughs> no, she's from the outset. She knows it's wrong, yeah. and that's kind of what makes her sympathetic. I agree, and that's why, yeah. And and last one, um, I'm not entirely sure the pronunciation. I'll say Raizul uh, Nisham said it's one of the most remarkable film endings of all time, uh, and has the sort mm. of screenshot of I had no thoughts at all, um, which I completely agree with. You know, just uh, just cl- clearly, there's a lot of love for this film. There's a lot of you know positive reactions mm. on Facebook, and um, I think there is a lot of love for this uh, 75 year old film. The most important rating, though, Hugh, is yours. Um, how many? Oh god, I didn't even think of a rating system. How many <laughs> dicking about in Regent's Parks out of ten <laughs> would you give this film? When did they go to Regent's Park? Mm. Is that where she goes at the end of the film? On the pond when they're. Uh, oh, they're, they're oh is that in Regent's yeah. Park? Right. Okay, I didn't catch that. 
Um, yeah, I think. What did I? What I wonder what I, what did I give before sunrise? I suppose it's in that ballpark. I guess. Yeah, I feel like they, I feel um, like from what you've said, seven is too low, but eight is. No, I give it an eight. an eight. I think it's an eight. Yeah, I think it's it's a classic, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard not to, and it's hard not to see it on the screen. And I th- one thing I did like about it was it was a short film. It was like you said, it was hundred and oh, what is hundred? It's no, one twenty six, uh, isn't it? One hour twenty six. Yeah, one hour twenty six. What's that? Eight. What's that? Eighty six minutes. Yeah, yeah, very short. So it was it was nice, neat little package, you know, tied up with a bow. Yeah. And it didn't need to be any more than that. Um, I can understand why people, yeah, of course people now, you know, like 20, 20, 25 years after, say, before Sunrise came out, are going to be like, oh, I prefer that. Because obviously the characters are more relatable because they're young and they're... they're In colour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. French. And they're not upper class. <laughs> yeah, they're not upper class middle middle, you know, upper middle class white people mm-hmm. with married, with, you know, most of them aren't going to be married with two kids and, you know, a housewives dotting around the town, <laughs> you know, or doctors uh, having liaisons, you know, so I can understand it from that sort of, you know, a lot of people find a good film, they, they can put themselves in the character's shoes and I can see how that could be quite restrictive in this sense. It is hard to compare. But yeah, no, it's all in all, I enjoyed it. And I liked, uh, and it, it's. I say this a lot, but it's, it's, it's probably more than the sum of its parts. But it knows what it is, and it doesn't try to be more than what it is. And I was, I wrote, I'm doing this podcast. I've really come to realise that I really like that about. That's what makes a good film is it doesn't try to be too much, mm-hmm. unless being too much is part of what the film is trying to be. And then if it succeeds at that, like The Matrix could be just a dumb action film but it tries to be more and mm. make you think about things metaphysically and it succeeds at that if that That's makes fair. sense yeah I agree and I think where it, where the sequels failed is because they tried too much with that and people didn't quite get on board with it so stick in your lanes everybody get in the kitchen etc <laughs> but no I agree I agree yeah, I, I, think I don't think stick a film in your lane be, but... a film should be like you say what it what it's supposed to be and Commando is a really a going going back to Commando or Equilibrium say yeah. they're really excellent at <laughs> 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 what they do even like something like Fast and the Furious the reason yeah. it's successful because it knows what it is it knows who's coming you know? to the audience and why, they, why they, who's coming to the cinema and why and it fulfills yeah. that need Way better than somebody yeah. that's trying too hard. Yeah, so you love it. That's good. I'm, I'm really happy. I did think you you would really enjoy it, um, and I'm, I'm I'm glad about that. Should we see how well you uh, remember things? Quiz wise, yeah. I thought this week was. I thought this was quite hard for you to make a quiz out of this week. Actually, I was like, this is going to be a tricky one. Yeah, on. we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So some of them might be too easy. Film. Some of them might be too too hard. Let's find out. Question one: we'll what, find out. what is the name of the station where she meets Doctor Harvey? Oh, I've no idea. <laughs> it's the name of the station. It's never shown. The station's shown, but it's never... It's shown and mentioned quite a lot. Oh, is it Milford? Well done. Milford Junction, that's exactly right. Yeah, well done. Is it Milford? It's the town she's going to is Milford, isn't it? Well, that was what I was a bit confused by. Yeah, because I originally... Because I've never heard of it. No, it's... And Carnforth is where it was um, filmed. Interesting fact, because it was still during the, the war... They had to film somebody somewhere that was far enough from the south coast that if they got the air raid warning, they could turn off all the studio lights uh, for the, any sort of like bombings. Imagine filming a film under those sort of circumstances. So we can't go near Bournemouth because we might get bombed. <laughs> so we'll go sort of further, <laughs> and we'll go north enough that uh, yeah that 
that will do to turn yeah, off the lights. That would have been it would have been like the V two rockets and things at that time. Yeah. That would have been the problem. And they yeah. also Go on then. The, so just just to lead on from that, oh. they had to pause filming during the celebrations that Germany had surrendered. Not because of the because they were so excited, but because the crew were needed to film like news segments and things for the celebrations. Anyway, question two. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, you got one out of one so far. What drink does Dolly mm-hmm. get for Laura when she seems a bit faint and feels a bit ill? Um, right at the start. Oh, what? Oh gosh, what was it? I know this. Um, is it a brandy? Brandy. Well done. Fantastic. Which again seems just yeah. another age, doesn't it? Oh, you're feeling a bit sick. Oh, well, let me go get some, let you get some hard liquor. <laughs> get that down there. Well, yeah, because the um, Mrs. Baggett's always like, my license didn't start till six. <laughs> but surely, if somebody's feeling unwell. Uh, question three: Where does Laura's son Bobby want to go on his birthday? To the circus. Well done. Question four: Where does Margaret want to go, and why? She wants to go to the pantomime because her birthday's in June and they don't have pantomimes in June. <laughs> the poshest little girl I've ever seen. And yeah. finally, uh, you might get this one. You should get this one. What is the name of the Come dreadful on. romantic film Laura and Dr. Harvey watch? Uh, yeah, I knew this was going to be a quiz question, uh, so I tried to remember it. Uh, Fires of Passion. Oh, very called. close, very close. Or passion. Is it of passion, passion. Something of passion. Oh, oh fuck. <laughs> Flames <laughs> um, of passion. Flames, of passion, Flames, which apparently yeah, was, uh, as is any good bit of real art, film? became a gay porn. <laughs> On, it's homage nice. to uh, Brief Encounter. So there we have Brief yeah. Encounter. I'm really happy that you liked it a lot, and I agree with the with the stuff that you said. Hugh, do you feel a bit more whole now you've seen this great film? Um, yeah, I'm glad I've watched a classic, as they say. Yeah, um, it's a satisfying yeah, I, feeling, I, I, isn't it? It's like reading something you're supposed to have read. If you read Jane yeah, Eyre, like 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 nineteen eighty four, yeah, for example, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I haven't read yet, which I'm going to read soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's my uh, gonna do that. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm glad I saw it. Um, I'm glad it. I was glad it was a bit. It was short, if I'm being honest. Yeah, but it's um, definitely a film I'm glad I have seen, and I think it would be a film I would watch with like. Like a girlfriend or something. I'd be like, oh, watch this classic film. Yeah. It's very, it's very, it'll, it'll make you feel, <laughs> you know, that kind of a way. But yeah. Good. Um, so, Sam, do you the have a question? big question I've got for you, Hugh. I've got two questions for you, actually. First question is, would you recommend this yeah. film? Yes, I would. Good. Second question I've got for you is, what am I doing this next week? What should I film? What film should I watch this week, Hugh? Uh, so next week we are going to do the 2010 film, the it's crucially the Swedish version um, of I don't know it's not 2010 is it? Might be, could be. I think it is. Might be 2009. We can check. Uh, we're going to do the girl with the dragon tattoo. Elizabeth mm. Solander. Yeah. What do you know about the girl with the dragon tattoo, Sam? I thought you'd seen it, so I would have done this sooner if I'd known. Yeah, I know that obviously had the American David Fincher remake. Um, I think that was 2010. It was really, yeah, about the same time, wasn't it? Um, so I think I'm right in saying she's some sort of, maybe a hired killer, uh, sort of very pierced and so on, a bit psychopathic or remorseless. Um, presumably she's somehow the product of, uh, a, she's a victim of abuse, really, in her training. I, I just don't know anything about it. I know that Stig Larsson died, I think, before the books were published or became so successful. It was a bit tragic. And there's, what, three or four of them? I, I really don't know enough. I know Daniel Craig and stuff are in the American version. I've never seen that either. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah, you're right. Though about Stig Larsson. Yeah, he died in 2004, so about five oh, years before. Right, okay. He was only 50. He was only he was he was young. No age. But yeah, we'll get into all that next week. Um, it should be good fun. I think you'll enjoy it. So we're gonna we're gonna do that. Yeah, slightly different take, slightly yeah. different film. My final question for you, yeah. Elias. There were actually three questions to you. If the listener wants to get in touch and tell us about their views on the Girl Who series uh, or uh, Beef Encounter or simply anything yeah. that occurs to them, uh, how could they do that? Uh, well, what they can do is they can. Um, Go to a tea room at a train station, and hopefully it'll be an internet cafe, and they can email us from from there. After the uh, after they've def- uh, demanded the finest wines available to humanity. Yes, <laughs> or um, yeah, or uh, you know, um, brandy before the license starts. It's always <laughs> good. Yeah, so yeah, they can do that. That's that's the only way I can Simple. think of. Anyway. Yeah, if they if were to be way. able to do that from nineteen forty five, uh, pre email. If they were to type out an email, what address would they send it to? Oh, they would send it to uh, please watch this uh, dot pod at gmail.com. Fantastic. Sam, if they wanted to get in touch with us through social media, how could they do that? Where would they go? Twitter would be the best bet at please watch pod. Yeah. We're also nominally we're on Facebook and, uh, t- and Instagram, but yeah, Twitter's the one. Twitter's yeah, the one. Twitter's our our domain, isn't it? So yeah, to speak. I just can't. Our I just kingdom can't do we Instagram. I just it's not. I just don't like it. I don't like the interface. Yeah. Yeah, good. Fair good. enough. Well, Sam, I think it's been uh, it's been a nice nice film this it's week. Been jolly nice good. Time. Good times. Listener, I love you so much yeah. that if I met you in a train station, I'd probably consider an affair with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, listener, if I saw you in a train station, I'd ignore you. <laughs> Maybe a quick jod. Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll talk at you next week, listener. We love you as always. Get in touch and uh, yeah, see you next week. Bye. Bye.